It's the Billboard Top 10 Billboards. This is the remix. This, this song's in my head. Welcome back for another episode of Songs in My Head, a podcast for music nerds by music nerds. As always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Kristen. Hello! And um, we're just coming back in, just to try to get back into the, the groove of things again uh, with, a little, with a little remix episode here. We've been talking about this for a couple weeks now, um, and we thought that it might be kind of interesting to to do another kind of top 10 episode or top whatever episode however many we compile into a list that's what we're going with yeah it's kind of inspired by some <clears throat> conversations that we were having and how um yeah well and i think it also was inspired by us going through that like top 100 drummers of all time list yeah and i don't remember why we did that i don't remember either Honestly, um, I don't remember what brought that up, but right. we decided it might be kind of fun to just kind of rattle off because we always talk about uh, albums or like tracks, songs, specific stuff like that. But we never really talk about like the musicians behind it. And yeah, I mean, the, we do a little bit if it comes into play with our album talks, but um, but we never really like go in depth on the ones that like kind of like interest us yeah in general so i i compiled a couple of couple of lists you compiled a, a couple of lists and we we just thought we'd sit down and just kind of chit chat about it yeah so um you know i i kind of went a little more technical with things as far as like instruments and stuff goes uh so i did a a top 10 list of drummers uh my top 10 in no particular order obviously um except for the the number one uh will always be the number one for me i'll get there though um so again in, in no particular order um I, I started things off with uh quest love from the roots um I, i've always really appreciated his his style and um I've always appreciated what he brings to like the R&B hip hop game and everything. You know, it's kind of cool seeing them on uh, with like Jimmy Fallon and seeing how different their like playing is on his show versus on some of their albums. Mm -hmm. um, I remember like extensively listening to the album that they recorded with uh, John Legend a few years back, and it was a phenomenal album. I, I love that album. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always had a lot of respect for Questlove. Um, the next one on my list was Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters. Uh, I feel like you can't talk about, like, like, 90s rock, like 90s, early 2000s rock. Right. Without mentioning Taylor Hawkins as a drummer. I mean, you know, and, you know, Rip, obviously. I mean, we unfortunately lost him this year. Um, but, you know, I mean, he was an amazing drummer and I think that he was really 
I think he was kind of like the an extension of Dave Grohl, which I think is why he jived so well with with Dave Grohl and the rest of the band. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've always appreciated him as a as a drummer. Um, so I went with uh, John Bonham from Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Um, I feel like he was just doing stuff that was so out of the box with Led Zeppelin. I mean, they were incorporating gongs and fucking all kind of just weird tunings and I mean, the the whole lot of them. I mean, Jimmy Page too, which I'll talk about him later. Yeah, I feel like <clears throat> it, it's even worth more back then where, you know, computers weren't really being used and especially the editing, you know, techniques and everything with the music um, the albums and stuff was a lot um, less advanced as it is now. It was harder to to add all that stuff later, right? Or whatever. So I feel like the skills involved, <clears throat> you know, yeah, years ago is definitely different than skills Absolutely. required now. So another um, <clears throat> another like kind of revolutionary drummer for me was uh, Stuart Copeland from the Police. Oh yeah. Um, I feel like Stuart Copeland in conjunction with Sting, really, really drove that sound home. Um, I, I, I always loved their kind of like, I don't know, it was like some sort of odd cross between like, like a f- reggae funk kind of vibe mixed with that like 80s synth rock that just, it all worked together. Right. And I think that that Stuart Copeland's unique style of drumming really tied it all together. Um, so then, uh, moving forward a little bit, uh, moving forward a little bit into the 90s and a little bit heavier, uh, I went with Joey Jordison from Slipknot. Um, I feel like he's one of the more important metal drummers of the last, like, 25 years. And, um, you know, unfortunately... We very suddenly lost him uh, last year. Last year or the year before, I believe. Um, But anyway, uh, I I just... I thought that he was always just so solid with his his speed and his intensity and really, uh, you know, just creating such a heaviness to an already large ensemble band like mm-hmm. Slipknot um, but he, he found a way in that ensemble to stand out with his with his drumming style um, so the next drummer that I had on my list was Carter Buford from Dave Matthews Band um, you know I, I've seen a lot of uh, drum workshops with him I've always admired him as a drummer um, I think he's got He's got such, like, soul in his drumming that, like, it's it's almost reminiscent of, like, how, um, it's going to be an odd comparison, but how, like, um, Springsteen was backed by the E Street Band. Like, you would never hear Dave Matthews without thinking about the Dave Matthews Band. Mm-hmm. And that band was very importantly p- 
pulled together by Carter Buford. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that he's always had such a like a very very tight playing style, and um, I don't know. He just he's always been such a forward rhythm thinker as far as like putting odd time signatures and stuff together. Has he been with Jay Matthews since the beginning? Uh, I believe so. I, I do believe he has been. Yeah, my exposure to Dave Matthews Band is only from the, you know, 90s when there was... That his, explosion of Dave oh, yeah. Matthews, sure. <clears throat> everybody. And everybody's mother. Right. Um, so, the next one on my list is kind of a, a big-time throwback. Um, it's a uh, jazz drummer, uh, Buddy Rich. Uh, he was a, he was a band leader. He's played with a lot of big jazz musicians, but I think that he was really. If you look at a, a lot a lot of interviews with drummers, um, you know they they will always note Buddy Rich as like one of their their big influences. And I mean, he was he was doing stuff with a drum set that was unheard of at that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, like his his fills and the tenacity and just his his the chops that he had like were pork just chops? yes pork chops um <laughs> lamb, lamb chops. chops you know uh karate chop karate chops um yeah chop suey don't forget about that uh yeah i mean it just i he he was such a trailblazer for his time um and i think that he was very important as a jazz drummer um, the next one on my list I had to go with uh, Jimmy the Rev Sullivan from A7X from Avenged Sevenfold um, you know I mean obviously we lost him at a very young age but I mean he had so much talent and um, I think if if he wouldn't have so suddenly passed away uh, he would still be you know very very influential now um, but I mean, his his style, that whole band in general, you know, the the, the dueling guitars, full of talent. But I, I think that the Rev definitely pulled it together. Um, you know, I I've always I've always loved listening to like some of their older stuff, uh, just to like hear him tie together a lot of all his solos and stuff like that. It's always been crazy. Um. Next up on my list was Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater, and um, he coincidentally has also played with Avenged Sevenfold after the Rev's death. He filled in for him on the next album. Um, but Mike Portnoy has always been one of my big influences as a drummer. Um, stylistically, that dude has just done some stuff that I don't even understand half the time when I listen to it. Um, you know, I mean, his... His, his rhythm is unmatched uh, by most drummers. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a madman behind the drum set. But not more of a madman than my number one all-time drummer, which is Neil Peart from Rush. Um, because I feel like up until the point when I first heard Rush, uh, I hadn't really been exposed to, like wow, this person is an awesome musician of, of like, 
heightened talent that I didn't know existed mm-hmm. until I heard them for the first time. And then I had this, like, oh. kind of moment. And I was like, whoa, like, what is he doing? Because um, I feel like he just, again, it was he was drumming at a time when they were right on the cusp of being in the seven like the mid to late 70s rock mm-hmm. and then into the 80s starting to implement more of the like the synth and technology based kind of stuff and I, I think that that having that those two things combined with his just raw talent overall well yeah and I mean their sound changed with the times absolutely and not all the bands you know that we talk about necessarily we're you know, able to do that. Yeah, we're able to do something like Especially that. in a time like that. <clears throat> back yeah. then, you know, back in the day when things weren't as easy as it is now. Right. I remember what <clears throat> what brought this conversation on. Okay. So what brought this conversation on is when I was talking to you about the two or the five hundred Rolling Stone list. Oh yeah. And because I was listening to um, the White Stripes. And I said that um, it was interesting to me to read about you know, Jack White being, you know, as talented as he is, and the fact that, you know, Meg um, learned drums on a whim and wound up on the you know, top 100 list of drummers. Right. And I was like, excuse me, like, I find that, like, kind of hard to believe because, I mean, I don't know, I listened to them and I didn't think she sounded like some sort of prodigy to me. And then that's when you started to say, like, okay, well, the... The drum works a little, you know, more. Um. I, I think the thing that you have to look at with Meg White is that even though as simplistic as the drum work may have been, to be paired up with oh, yeah. with Jack White's capabilities on guitar, mm-hmm. it just was unmatched. It was a oh, com- right. it was a combo that just that just made sense together. It was just interesting to me that like <laughs> she said like on a whim like she learned and, right and it's like oh well you know you learn on a whim and suddenly you're in one better of the than... most influential bands in the last 20 years and then like... when i sit there and you know read the list we were like well you know she's higher than this person and higher than travis barker who to me should with, be way higher. with my limited am- amount of you know drumming knowledge you know it's really funny i didn't even put travis barker on any part of my list whatsoever the two um, that are on my list of of drummers that I, you know, as as a non-musician, basically, neither one on your list. Um, <laughs> I did have some honorable mentions. Okay. Um, I went with, uh, I had Alex Van Halen from... What I, band? I, I think it was uh, Van Halen. Van Weezer? Van, 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 Van Halstead, I think it was. No, uh, from Van Halen, um, <laughs> one of the founding members of Van Halen, one of the longtime members of Van Halen. I wonder how they got their band name. Uh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, he just was always doing, you know, he, he was the first one that I can ever think of to do like the, the triple bass work with the bass drums and everything and just do some really out of the box shit on drum set. Um, I had, I put Sheila E cause I mean, it's, it's Sheila E like, I, I feel like the name says enough. I mean, she's, she's played with. I mean, Prince found her, got her started on her own career, and he she played with Prince of the Revolution numerous times, you know, was always 
working with him and, you know, is always doing her own thing also. But, I mean, she's just always been, you know, one of my, one of my favorites. Um, I also had Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers. Um, you know, I, I just, I think that he's always had that, like, really solid rhythm section with Flea. That, like, they just have that, like, that style together mm -hmm. that just made the Chili Peppers so unique. And then um, my, my last honorable mention might be a surprise to you. I, I put Dave Grohl. I feel like you can't talk about drummers and not and not mention Dave Grohl. Yeah, he was on my list um, of two. Because, <laughs> I mean, obviously, he was the lead singer of the Foo Fighters, whatever. Um, I mean, he was the Foo Fighter on the first he, album, He was right? the Foo Fighter. He's fighting Foo all by he himself. Was, yes, he was solely fighting the Foo. Um, Thanks to him, there's no Foo now. Right, so there's no Foo anymore. We're, we're safe. We're safe from the Foo. Um, part two, Electric Foo. Uh... But, I mean, obviously, he was the drummer for Nirvana, which one of the in most influential bands of all time. Um, and he played drums for Tenacious D. He played drums for Queens of the Stone Age. I mean, the dude has done so much drum work for so many different artists. It's, it's crazy. I mean, he even created a metal band with Lemmy from um, Motorhead called Probot. And they released one album, and it was like this weird super group amalgamation metal album, and he played drums on that. And he's so, just an impressive person. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, we'll we'll talk about him later too. But like watching his, you know, oh, videos, the, the Hanukkah sessions. Yeah, just watching that, I'm just like, man, he is like so well ultra talented. He's so well versed in like everything, and a good dude. Like, yeah, who has all those talents? And is a good person. Right. I just... I guess all my other honorable mention would have to be Travis Barker. I was I, just surprised. I, I, I don't know why I didn't put him on there. I guess I was just thinking so much bigger. Mm -hmm. And then, like... Well, it's tough because, like, I had that issue with my list that's coming up. It's like, okay, well, my vision of music is, is very small when I look at, you know, what I what I'm really into. But when you look back at who influenced these people and... You know, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, it's tough to come up with a list. <clears throat> well, I mean, and I feel like you and I listen to music differently. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and everybody does. You you listen on a more lyrical level, and then you appreciate the music later. Where I listen to the music first, and then I listen to the lyrics. Well, that comes from you. I think you just what we are interested in on our own. I mean, you're, you're a drummer, so. Well, yeah, I mean. It's kind like, of your thing. And for me, I mean, poetry and reading has always been my, my niche. So like. Right. Niche, niche. Niche. Okay, so I'm curious, your other drummer. Oh, it was just Travis and. Um, it was Travis. Yeah, Surprise Travis you, and Jay. Surprised you didn't put Smelly on there. Okay, so like. That's tough because. He's, he's great, but I, when you look at these people in comparison, it's really hard to... I understand. No, but I, I mean, really, Smelly... I, really I think he's, he's one of the most solid punk drummers. Oh yeah, that he's I've consistent, 
He he, I, I've heard his skill grow and grow. Yeah. Live, he's amazing. Oh yeah, when and we saw him a couple weekends ago, like, and incredible. he gives the band so much heart too. Like, so not only is he, you know, a talented drummer and, you know, gotten through all the things that he's gotten through as a person and still grown with the band, but again, uh, for everybody out there, that all six of you that are listening, um, you know. We say these top ten lists, uh, this is our fucking show. We'll have as many people on our lists as we want to have on our lists, to be honest. Exactly. Okay, so I did a list, top ten plus, of songwriting. Okay. So we, you and I talked about this, and I think... Um, I kind of put together a little So how about this? How too. about... I'll go through my list. If sure. I have somebody on the same list as you, jump we'll, in. We'll if not, it. we'll we'll do yours and then my honorable mentions. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Okay, cool. Okay, so number one on my list, this is in no particular order, but in my heart, it's Fat Mike. Sure. Um, <clears throat> I know my view of, like, music in, you know, some areas is pretty narrow, but I think Fat Mike has grown as a songwriter, a musician, over the 40 years that he's played. Um, listening to him talk to Krista Makes about writing The Decline was just an impressive, like, just... I, I can't describe it. If you haven't listened to the episode, you really should, because Mike talks about how he was able to write um, The Decline, which, if you don't know, is like an 18-minute, like, his magnum opus of of work, you know, um, written in 99, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chris asked, well, how did you manage to do this when you guys were touring and on work tour and whatever? And Mike talked about how he makes a point to write every day, it, it, whether it's a riff, whether it's, you know, some lyrics... And to hear him talk about putting together this... And it's not just like... Okay, it's not like Stairway to Heaven is long and has this long instrumental part. We're talking... There isn't much time in The Decline without lyrics. Right. Like, there's not much, like, quiet time. And if you think about it, like... I don't even know how many lyrics that is. But he said he put together, like, a crossword puzzle. Like, he had pieces and bits, like, just working it. Yeah. For a long time. And just that kind of creation... Like, I can't even fathom it in my brain. Right. And, and I actually, I also had Fat Mike on my list, too. Um, yeah, I mean, I picked that specifically, but the crazy amount of things that they've done differently in the band. I mean, they had a song in French, they had a song in Spanish, they had a song, you know, they have happy, funny, play on words. Um, they, they had a song where, like, like, a good portion of the lyrics were in Yiddish, like, Mm-hmm. They, I, I think that, that if you look at Fat Mike as a songwriter, the the interesting thing is that you can you can hear that he's got a story to tell. Oh my, yeah. He always does, and I think that it's always it's always interesting because he accompanies those stories with such thoughtful music arrangements to go with it that like it never. It never feels like it's a throwaway. Like, it never feels... It always it always feels purposeful. Right. <clears throat> and um, I think... Yeah. I mean, and even, even on the, for lack of a better term, the slower side of albums, it still never feels like it's throwaway stuff. Like, mm-hmm. it still is always telling a story or always having some sort of fun. And I, I feel like... As a songwriter, he just has always had a way with words, um, and I've always been—I've always been impressed by it's, it's, his writing. 
it's good to hear from you too because I always think well maybe my picture of you know music is just so small because they're my favorite no, um, absolutely not. but when you're talking about a storytelling you think about the difference between the decline the 18 minute song and uh, falling in love which is this huge story about people going down in a plane crash but there's what not even two verses yeah maybe like eight lines mm -hmm. and the impact that that song has it's in huge. eight lines it's huge right so yeah i mean there's just i have a whole list but i mean to me nobody compares sure but again my picture of music is is much smaller but and you know what and it's it's based on the music that you listen to yeah but i mean the the amount of things that he's made me think differently about because of listening i'm on the, i'm getting like all emotional <laughs> like he's changed like my worldview you sure. know so yeah i mean he's number one number two is prince sure. um Obviously. and i know that we've talked about prince before extensively on the show because we had our purple rain episode and you don't have enough you know you can't say enough about Prince. I, I can't. I the the man was a pariah. I mean, he was he was a genius. He he. Isn't pariah a bad thing? Maybe it is. What's yeah. the word I'm thinking? Yeah, pariah's like when you're an outcast. Yeah, no, 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 not pariah. He was a um, prodigy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the word. <laughs> That's way better. <sighs> um, Christ. Yeah, I mean, the dude was just he was always writing i mean and they've said that like that like he, they've got so much stuff in the paisley vaults at his estate that like they could release more albums if they put it all together yeah and when you think about the amount of songs that he's written that for, other people for other people i mean he's written for cindy lopper he's written for sinead o'connor he's written well he didn't write for sinead o'connor but sinead o'connor took the Perform song yeah um, I mean, he wrote for the time. He wrote. I mean, he wrote for all of his proteges. He wrote, and all his projects and, and side yeah, projects I mean, and like, things that he had too. You know, I mean, he he wrote for Vanity Six and for. I think he wrote some songs with either for or with Sheila E. I mean, he right. he wrote so much, and, I mean, his music was just so, it pushed the envelope. And again, I think it came down to the fact that, like, it just, he, he told, every song was a story. Um, and, and I think that... Well, he even, like, co-wrote stuff, too, right? I mean, he was involved in a lot of different things. Oh, yeah. Things. Absolutely. I mean... So it's, like, endless when you it, think about it. I mean, they, they, you can't say enough about, about Prince. I mean, he just... And again, I think he was another artist, too, like with his own performances that you could tell grew with the times because, you know, some of it has like the strong 80s feel and yeah. some was very, very 90s. Absolutely. Um, he had, you know, a lot. He tried a lot of different things. I mean, the dude wrote two soundtracks. Like, because yeah. he wrote the soundtrack for Purple Rain, obviously. Um, but he also wrote the soundtrack for Batman. I not realize that. I think it was either Batman or Batman Returns. He wrote the like the soundtrack for it, hmm. like, and it's just wild to think that that is a thing that happened in the nineties. Like, I, I, it's, I don't know. I can never, I can never say enough, and I won't ever say enough. No, you could Prince. do a couple episodes about it easily, easily. 
Sorry. Okay. So he was on your list too. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Okay. Of course Number three on my list, Rivers Cuomo. Um, Here we go. So I learned a lot about the way that Rivers does his songwriting and stuff when we did the OK Human episode. Um, what I found most fascinating by him were two things. Um, first of all, is that he wrote the Blue Album as most, most, most of the Blue Album as a song challenge, a 50 song challenge that he did for himself in 1991, made up some of the biggest songs on that album. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about it before, how the Blue Album is, you know, a, hands down, like, one of the best debut albums that I've heard. Oh, absolutely. So for him to knock it out of the park, like, that very first time, like, that's pretty impressive. Um, and the fact that um, one time, I know we referred to this before, but it was like an NPR in- interview that I saw and read that he talked about how... Um, interested in, he is in like hit songs of all the times and he'll deconstruct it and figure out you know what it is that scientifically that makes it work yeah and then takes bits and pieces and facts and, and stuff like that and puts it in a database yeah well he's like a super technical person too and tries to you know figure it out store all this information well and the fact that he said that like he's got like bits and pieces of songs that he has recorded just saved in folders and folders on his mm-hmm. on his memory that like just haven't been released yet well basically too i mean he, what was the they're writing a musical yeah pinkerton would have been a musical yeah well same with my fat mike he had home street home which was a musical so i mean he they're kind of similar in that respect that you know but i i think again it just comes down to the and, and i mean i feel like this is a common theme obviously like you know where, where you look at a lot of these songwriters and it, it's the ones that are able to tell a story in a way that is gripping to the audience but it doesn't get boring but it's not just the story too it's just musically interesting i mean <clears throat> weezer has done some like super interesting things musically oh yeah Especially, like, when you think about, like, I don't know, to me, OK Human was, like, a, um, huge. Because, you know, the way that they recorded it and the orchestra and just the way that it sounded. And I think that OK Human was their Sgt. Peppers. Yeah. Where Because you could was, hear it was artistically, like... Yeah, it just um, was... It, it was so... Mature. Yeah, that, that that's exactly what I was going to say. It was so mature and it was so polished and orchestral Mm -hmm. but in being polished it felt so raw oh yeah because it was just so stripped down to like the bare bones like they had very minimal like instrumentation and like it was like what was it i don't think it was a full orchestra but it was like a quartet well it even yeah and i felt like the way that it was written the way that it was um performed and all that just brought you know that feeling of quarantine like you could you could feel him you know writing some of these songs alone quiet you know i i don't know i get choked up thinking about it because like it's just such a good album and even when you look at the stuff that he wrote on pinkerton because some of that stuff was written when he uh had surgery Mm mm-hmm and yeah. like you could hear the desperation in his lyrics and his like there were some times where he was like slipping into madness a little bit mm-hmm. and you could hear it and the fact that he was using his lyricism as an outlet was just so big yeah 
Yeah, so there's those things. And then um, the, the sheer amount of covers that they've done and their twist and spin on them. Yeah. Um, that isn't necessarily like songwriting like you would think of songwriting. But the way that they intentionally like do the nods back to the original music and stuff and the way that he's intentional about, you know, the way that they do those things, I feel... So I'm going to refer the listeners back to the episode where we covered the Teal album. And I want you guys to go back and listen to their cover of No Scrubs. Because I feel like that's a perfect example oh, yeah. of exactly what you're saying. That's because what I was thinking. When you listen to it, you're like, this is the same fucking song, but it's not. And the fact that he was intentional about keeping the gender in the yeah. song, he's like, you know, you could be gay for five minutes or whatever. Yeah. Like, that to me is, you know, the perfect, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, tribute to yeah. that original song. Absolutely. And for him to be able to, like, the whole band of Weezer, I mean, I can't say enough good stuff, and we're going to see them on Tuesday, which I'm super I'm so psyched. I'm so pumped. I'm so pumped. I feel like they're all so talented, but he he's what brings it together. Absolutely. Yeah, so his songwriting, I mean, I just, I can't say enough. And they've done so many, like, innovative things, like the seasons that they did, and, like, the way they introduced their albums and stuff, like... Just, just interesting, like, unusual things. Right. It's always trying to push, push a different envelope, make, mm -hmm. make, make the listener think. Yeah, and I think once I realized that you know he's kind of a technical person, like it also brings like an additional layer to the way that that he songwrites. Right. Just because it's it's innovative in a way that not everybody, you know, can pull off. Yeah. So, yeah, he was my number three. So, so far we're three for three on the same list. Three for three, yeah. Okay. Um, number four, I'm going to say Dave Grohl. Because I feel like he is um, versatile in pretty much everything. When you think about, like, he, he co-wrote some of Nirvana's songs. Um, and the way that, um, that he picked up and, I mean, pretty much did. He did the whole album. The whole Foo Fighters album. Um, Everlong's a masterpiece. Like, I can listen to that song, I can't even tell you how many times. We've watched the video however many times. Big, the biggest hand. It is one of the most emotional songs. If I think of, like, the top ten, top ten favorite songs, it's on there. Um, the songs that bring the most emotion for me. I think if you're going to talk about, like, that kind of song, where something that, like, really, like, pulls on your heartstrings and pulls on emotion, I think you have to look at... Uh, the Pretender. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very, very emotionally driven song. Um, I mean... But, I mean, he also wrote for <clears throat> every project that he's been in. He's he's had something to do with. He's co-written with, you know, Paul McCartney and Joan Jett and various other, like, huge, huge mm -hmm. names in, in music. He, he co-wrote with uh, Josh Hom for them, Crooked Vultures. Mm -hmm. um, he did write a little bit with Jack Black on the pick of destiny i believe mm -hmm. and i kind of feel like what we just talked about with weezer and and like the covers the intentional stuff like I, i've seen it in his hanukkah things the way he can pull off you know just into the the creative ways that they've covered songs what was there's something way out there wasn't it 
was their one project that they had where they were covering all those Bee Gees songs? Oh, the Dee Gees. The Dee Gees, yes, that's it. That's a perfect example right there. And I feel like even, like, I don't know, his creativity shines through all these places, including his videos. Oh, my God. Where he plays, like, however many parts. Right. Like, I, mean, I feel like... It's just, it's it's wild. Yeah, so I mean, if I had a super group and I could put Fat Mike, Rivers, and Dave Grohl in it, <laughs> uh, I mean, and I think the other thing that you have to respect for Dave Grohl as an artist... Is, and I can't put Prince because he's not alive the, anymore. ...is but. the fact that, like, he he doesn't know how to read guitar tablature. <laughs> I forgot he about that. He learned how to play guitar... From the drums. ...from being a drummer, from understanding rhythm and being able to just pluck out chords... And that feels like some reverse engineering it's shit. It's some fucking wild shit, and I don't understand it. I don't get it. Yeah. But, like, Jesus, man. But like, I feel like wow. that could put him on every list that we have. That's in true. some reason. That's fair. Or for some way. So, yeah. All, and it's funny, because he was not on my list, actually. So, there's one we don't have together. All right, so apparently my next... Uh, now that I'm looking at my list, it's going to take an R&B spin here for the next few... I didn't realize I grouped it this way. Um, Jay-Z. Um, I feel like his music is, is poetic as hell. Um, Hard Knock Life, for me, was, like, huge. He's the first rapper inducted into the uh, the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Um, I think the, the thing that you have to look at with Jay-Z is that he has always been that, that rapper that has been able to tell tell what it was like in his come up mm -hmm. and to hear to hear a songwriter tell that kind of a of a story in their music yeah is so powerful um i mean like the blueprint is an amazing like well laid out album and mm -hmm. I, I feel like i i don't know it's it's important uh, he's on my list well, and it's important that he's there. We're going to have to look at... Because um, apparently there's a book he did where he dissected a lot of his lyrics and stuff. And that stuff, sort of thing is super interesting to me. Really? So we're going to have to look that up. Yeah, that was um, in the same vein as reading about him in the Hall of Fame. So like it talked about how, you know, he, he did all that in, in a book. And I was like, well, you know, it's all intentional. So yeah. And, and thinking about like more you know how you know r&b has evolved i mean he's influential to so many even well from, i mean and, even and just, from his time and he still is and just look at all the look at all the people that he's worked with right i mean we're talking about the guy that found kanye west not that that means a lot right now because kanye west is a, a little bit off the deep end okay he could be a garbage human but still be listen I'm just going to say it that, like, Late Registration is a fucking great album. 808s and Heartbreaks I'm is a you. fucking great album. I'm with you. My Beautiful, Sick, Twisted, Dark Fantasy is a great fucking album. The Life of Pablo is a great fucking album. College Dropout is an amazing debut album. He was almost on my list here, but... There's too many. There's honestly too many there's, there's so R&B people. But that like I, I can the pick. fact that Jay-Z looked at Kanye West and was like, this guy. Yeah. Is important. It's, it's huge. Because 
Kanye West is to Jay-Z as Eminem is to Dr. Dre. There, there's a little SAT comparison for you. You're welcome. Okay, so he's on your list, too. Who? Jay-Z. Yes. Jay-Z okay, is so on we're my, is on four for list. five. <laughs> um, Notorious B.I.G. And he's the on reason... My, he's on my list, too. The reason I chose him is because I think his, like, style and, and, and metaphors he uses in his songwriting are, like, unmatched. Um... He took, you know, rap and made it more, you know, radio friendly and stuff in the 90s, the way that, you know, he, I mean, he wrote for everyone, I feel like, not just, yeah, not just fans of, of rap. He's, he wrote for everyone. I mean, I feel like his stuff transcended, like, the genre. A bit. Absolutely. And as, you know, influential as he was for, you know, writing for the rest of the Junior Mafia, and the thing that got me the most and put him on this list is Jay-Z was talking about the watching you know Biggie write a song and he said that he watched him write lyrics in his head and like lay it all out not even on paper so like most of his lyrics were created in his head and like when you think about some of the stuff that he came up with it's crazy that you can like you got that kind of brain where you can put all that together yeah well and I I feel like again in in a similar fashion to Jay-Z it was it was it was him being able to to correlate his rise through his music. Oh, right. Um, but still stay, like, humble about things. Oh, right. That's what I meant when and, I was like, you know, he writes for everybody. Yeah. Because even if he does talk about, like, and some of it having money and whatever, but you know that it's coming from, like, heart. He yeah. writes with heart. Absolutely. Um, what was I going to say? It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. It'll be back. Um, <clears throat> oh, yeah. So, like, when you think about, too, like, the short life that he lived and the amount of stuff that he could have done. Yeah. Like, the amount of potential he had in his life. Huge. Um, so, he was on your list. Yeah. Okay. Eminem, next. That's fair. The reason I chose Eminem is because when you look at the way that he writes his lyrics, not just the lyrics, but the the rhythm to it like i read where you know there was somebody that took like shakespearean sonnets and like broke down you know eminem's um specific songs and you know said how it matches with sonnets and different types of you know like sophisticated like patterns he uses in his his music like it's something i have to go back to later because you know I don't know if you ever had to study poetry, but, like, the ABA, like, mm -hmm. these... Okay, so, like, they were putting all that together with all his songs. That's super interesting. I, I would like to read that, actually. I'll have to look for it, because I think I bookmarked it. So I thought that was really interesting, plus the fact that... Um, yeah, so, like, they compare him to, like, writing sonnets, comparing to Shakespeare, the way he writes. And his wordplay, I think, is beyond... And I can't think of any examples right now, but the one example that does come to my head, it was just, like... Um, but I love you. Love the way you lie. He talks about window pane. That's why they called it window or out the window, and that's why they call it window pane. Like, just play on words like that and stuff in his lyrics. That, yeah. Okay, somebody is having a good time outside. At his cars <laughs> on the street. Um, yeah. So I feel like he's he's a poet. Um, and I think you know, to me specifically, Stan was like. It was, like, ahead of its time. Um, what's the word I'm looking for that you always use? 
avant-garde. Avant-garde. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, and I the way that, that, that they incorporated, you know... I think that, that Eminem is a very interesting songwriter. And he's a very smart songwriter because... He is. He has this capability to write these silly, haha, funny, pee pee, poo poo jokes in songs. Like you get the real Slim Shady. Oh my God! Yeah. And then you you get songs like Stan, and you get you get just these super deep emotional songs coming from this guy. That's just telling you, again, it, and it's another it's another situation where you're looking at this artist that's telling you about his come up, but his was fucking rough. Mm -hmm. And like, he had all of this anger that he let out in his songs, and he used those songs as an outlet to tell those to tell about all of that angry stuff mm -hmm. that he had in his head. Mm -hmm. And I, I just think it's it's wild that he can be so like two sided where you're you're getting He's very versatile in that respect. And yeah. I feel like um rap artists don't get the recognition that they should have in songwriting. Absolutely not. Because man, I don't I don't know any song that needs as much rhythm and stuff as these do and have as many lyrics. Sure. And yeah. and smart. Yeah. I mean plus the the fact that like he can rap that fast. Oh, it's like 150 words a minute or something. Confuses me. And I think auctioneers are like 200, yeah. something like that. So like he's like somewhere between like the fastest average talker and an auctioneer. And yeah. it's crazy. Wild. Um, yeah. So he definitely got a space on my list for those reasons. But the, the Shakespeare thing alone, like looking at it as if it's like classic literature to me is like right. mind blowing. So he was on? No. He was, on list. he was not on my list, actually. <clears throat> um, okay, so I think our lists are going to go different at this point going forward. Um, number eight. Number eight was my spot that I switched so many different people in and out. Um, I had a big Bob Dylan versus Leonard Cohen moment here because in my... Um, in my, you know, journey of, like classic rock that you know 60s 70s um they both are very similar that you know they were lyrically heavy they were both poetic um i found out bob dylan got a nobel prize for literature the first lyricist to get one in over 100 years wow but i feel like leonard cohen like pushed him out in my in my picture because of like the novels and the poetries he's he's written and the fact that he took him five years to write hallelujah Oh, wow. Like, <laughs> even though, like, from what I read, he was, like, lying and saying it wasn't as long because when you look at somebody like Bob Dylan who said, oh, yeah, I wrote that in, like, a day, like, he's like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to act like this is my, like, giant piece of art that I just keep coming back to. Right. But I feel like the heart and soul in his music and the heart and soul in his poems, like, really comes across. For sure. So I feel like he... And I, it was hard for me to to choose people that um it's weird I, I picked a lot of modern like more modern people because i guess the way that i discovered their music like influenced the way that i you know appreciate their songwriting sure so he's one that i chose that i knew as a poet first 
Um, <clears throat> next on my list is Paul McCartney. Now, it's really hard for me to choose a Beatle out of any of them. But I feel like Paul was, was a lot of heart. And that's what I find valuable in songs. Sure. Um, now, Paul was... Um, if you look at some of the songwriters that we talked about previously, like, Paul's opinion of songwriting is just get it done. Like, don't sit on it. Like, write it out. Write the bones of the song. Write what you got. And then come back and, like, tweak it later. Sure. But his thing was, you know, get it done. Um, he wrote 71 of the Beatles songs as the main composers. Wow. Um, including, like, Blackbird, Yesterday, Eleanor Rigby, a lot of Abbey Road, Oh Darling, which is one of the, like... That song rips your, rips your heart out. I skipped it as a kid, which is so funny. But um, Abbey Road, not even a storytelling album, but tells a story. Like, his music is powerful. Yeah. It is. Um, and then when you think about the fact that he, you know, wrote on his own, he wrote for, you know, him and his wife, he wrote for Wings, he wrote, you know, a little bit of everything. Um, I had to pick him over the other Beatles. Sure. Um, number 10, before my honorable mentions, David Bowie. Um, wow. I chose him because he's studied by <laughs> songwriters, like, yeah. extensively, and the amount of, like, innovative stuff he had done for his time and the inspiration that he like provided and like um i forget specifically what they were talking about but his imaginative like storytelling yeah and i know this is probably a place where you would have more to talk about because you're more of a david bowie fan than i am but i think i mean i feel like one of the best examples of of david bowie's songwriting in a nutshell is uh space oddity you say it in a nutshell, I think of Austin, Austin Powers. Powers. Help, I'm in a nutshell. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I feel like that's the, a great example of like his his creativity in in making a story. And he really takes you to this lonesome, desolate place with this astronaut mm -hmm. that fears that he may never see his wife again. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're really, you, you feel this raw emotion that this imaginary character is having. Right. I mean, and it's just, I don't know, it's just so wild. I mean, even when you look at, like, when you look at Ziggy Stardust, or, well, I mean, specifically when you look at Starman, mm -hmm. um, and you look at it where he's like this this rock god alien prodigy guy that other people don't like because he's different and don't like because he's pushing boundaries and he's doing things that are different and I, I feel like that's a really a really important thing but also I mean even with when you look at um, like under pressure oh yeah uh, you know, and, and it's such a it's such a big song that he co-wrote with Freddie, and I feel like I mean that song in itself is just a a, a wild ride of of emotions. Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> I started thinking of some people like my honorable mention. One of them is Kurt Cobain. When you think about like who their influences are, he influenced. Kurt Cobain a ton, you know, The Cure, like, he had a ton of people that, you know, named them, named him as an influence. 
So when you think about like what he's done for you know just songwriting in general. Well, I mean, obviously influenced Kurt Cobain, we wouldn't have gotten. Well, right, but that, I don't even mean that gut wrenching cover of "Man Who Sold the World." Yeah. Without that. Yeah. So I mean, he's the last on my list. Do you want to go over people on your list? Or uh, I yeah, so I, I had a couple that were um, that were different. Um, on my list, I had uh, Chris Cornell. Oh, yeah. Um, again, I feel like he's another very, very emotional songwriter. You know, I mean, he wrote for Soundgarden. He wrote for Audio Slave. But he also had all of his solo career. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was always just super super duper raw emotional kind of lyricism um and he just painted such vivid pictures with with the way that he wrote um you know chris cornell was always a big one for me um kurt cobain was actually on my primary list uh because i feel like again he's just another another one of those like just groundbreaking lyricists that just I feel like <clears throat> he's one we didn't get enough, like, yeah. chance. Right. Because at their height is when he, you know... Did the thing. Yeah. He was my honorable mention. Um, uh, I also had uh, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails. Um, I feel like if you ever want to listen... He's the industrial Dave Grohl. <laughs> If you ever want to listen to somebody just talk about the the struggles with having an addictive personality and having a lot of mental issue and mental anguish and just just raw oh like gut wrenching lyricism, I mean that's that's the guy to go for. And not just that too, but like when I um, when I was doing my like deep dive on Pretty Hate Machine. Like finding out that he's you know mostly self-taught on a lot of the stuff, and when you think of songwriting as beyond lyrics, right? Because I think a lot of times, okay, like songwriting lyrically dense, telling a story, but you know he tells a story with music. Yeah. Like downward spiral specifically, like the musical choices he makes says a lot about the song without even using the lyrics. I mean, I think if you ever want to, like, look at a song... Well, I mean, one of the, the biggest, like, lyrical songs that I ever heard from Nine Inch Nails was Hurt. Mm-hmm. I can't... That song is so tough to listen to. Um, both versions. Both the Nine Inch Nails version and the Johnny Cash version are both difficult versions of that song to listen to. But the, the original, obviously, it just... It's <coughs> so... So deep. And have you just... listened to the downward spiral or just mm-hmm. have you heard? okay? Oh yeah. I feel like you know it being a story album, um, its placement and everything yeah. makes it even more impactful. Absolutely. And again, when we talk about that too, about it, things being intentional, like it's not just a song or you know one track he thinks about. It's the whole picture. Yeah. Um, so my next one uh, is actually a duo. Because um, I feel like I couldn't include one without the other, uh, and it was Greg Graffin and Brett Gurewitz mm-hmm. from Bad Religion. Right. Because um, I mean, it's no secret that Bad Religion is one of my favorite punk bands, and uh, I feel like their their lyricism and their 
um, they're they're like really really raw look on you know government and you know like the social the social help word uh, the socialist society in general um, you know and just the the movement of technology and you know I mean you've got songs like 21st century digital boy and like then you've got sorrow and like it just I don't know I, I, I just their lyrics are are smart they're very they're they're sharp they're poignant they they are just they're political but they're not like in your face political mm -hmm. they always have a lot more than just the politics side of things to tell you right i mean i like them and i appreciate them i just think when i compare when i compare some of the stuff that i like i feel like they're they're kind of heavy yeah they are and i think that's like i mean i can't compare you know no effects <laughs> and then because they have a lot of the same similarities in in you know topic sure but you know no effects has a lot of pee pee poo poo jokes so you know um but yeah i would have put them on my list too but like there's sure there's no way to stop this list if i kept going yeah <laughs> um and then I, uh, the last one on my list which was a big one for me personally um is nick thomas from spill canvas oh yeah um because I feel like, I don't know, I, I think it was just the come up with that band, growing up with them, and just, you know, I've seen them so many times, I, I own, like, every album they've ever released, like, I, I don't know. His lyrics are so... They're, it's, it's one of the first times when I really saw a lyricist, songwriter, kind of addressing mental illness and like you know dark thoughts and it was it was really connecting for me uh -huh. at, at a really pivotal time in my life and I think that's why they've always stuck with me um, you know because I mean obviously like they they have their their heartache heartbreak kind of stuff but I mean they they deal with mental health problems with addiction with suicide with a lot of really really heavy stuff there's and some well-placed claps in those songs too yeah lots of claps <laughs> um I, I don't know I just the thoughtfulness in his lyrics and the the fact that he's so open and candid with his mental health and his battle with his demons um, has always struck a chord with me, um, you know. Yeah. Plus, he's a super nice guy. I, I met him one night. He seemed like a super nice guy yeah. when he was, yeah. you know, doing the last show we were at. Um, and I feel like, obviously, one that we didn't bring up, but real quick, um, before we take a breather here, uh, was, and it's, it's a, it's one that you can't separate any part of it because to try and separate Queen mm. as a band 
as songwriters is impossible because they all are credited in writing and singing for on every one of their albums. But I feel like they've done something that, like, okay, I love the Beatles, but I feel like there is a lot like, less cohesiveness. Like, when you look at them as songwriters, Queen as a songwriters, I feel like there's a lot more, I don't know, maybe it's just the, the short amount of time the Beatles were around. I don't know. But, but I feel like they're less cohesive than... Than Queen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Queen is just, they're so grandiose, and uh, I feel like the fact that they give every member their their equal time right. to shine was also always very thoughtful to me. If, I mean, especially if you look at an album like A Night at the Opera, um, you know, the, the fact that all four of them wrote songs on that album, and... I think for the most part they all performed their own songs mm -hmm. is just super interesting and fascinating to me so but yeah so that that's that, that's it's interesting that we we had a lot of crossover but we also had our own yeah it's, it's funny that they were all in the beginning right right so <clears throat> after our long list of, of lyricists, songwriters, uh, I thought it might be interesting to maybe talk about some uh, guitar players, bass players. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think it might be kind of interesting. So I, I have a, a little bit of a list here. Um, I have mine split up in guitarists and bass players and I'm sure that you can fill in as we go so uh, first up on my list guitarists I gotta go with the OG Prince uh, he's he's just he's just that dude you know I mean he he was an amazing guitar player and I mean if you want a perfect example I think uh, listening to to the song Purple Rain is definitely one of his like like better solo work on that on that song. Right. So I definitely recommend that if you if you want to get a good picture of of Prince's amazing guitar playing. Or even even um, when Doves Cry is a pretty good example too. Oh yeah. But um Especially the beginning. Mm -hmm, right at the beginning. But yeah, I mean, he's just an incredible guitar player. He's just an incredible musician all around, and I think that you and I both can agree on that for sure. Um, so the next one on my list was Jimi Hendrix. Oh yeah, same. Obviously, I feel like you can't have a discussion about guitar players without talking about Jimi Hendrix. Right. Um, I mean, Jimi Hendrix is probably the reason that a lot of people started playing guitar. Um, and I think that it also is a good example of... Uh, you know, representation of people of color in a time when it was rough being a person of color. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so definitely a lot of props for Jimi Hendrix. I've always been a big fan. Um, next one on my list is kind of interesting. Uh, I put John Mayer. Oh, you know what? Um, I, I have to agree with you. He's I not mean, on my list. He's. But 
if you've ever like heard him play, I think one one particular performance that always sticks out in my head um, is during the um, the Michael Jackson tribute performance when mm-hmm. they had all the artists like doing his like you know remembrance after his death. Right. Um, I believe it was the song "Human Nature." Okay. That he played, but he it was just, he nobody sang, it was just him playing the whole song. On guitar, it was incredible. If you if you can find the video on YouTube, I highly suggest it. That whole special was incredible, but that part to me always sticks out for John Mayer, mm-hmm. and the fact that like, he's been touring with like, the remaining members of the Grateful Dead, and like has played with, you know how many great other great artists is impressive. Um, I feel like you have to have Jack White on this list. There's no way you can, again, have a conversation about amazing guitar players without talking about Jack White. Um, You know, I mean, obviously, you look at his work with the White Stripes, um, his solo work is incredible, Lazaretto is an amazing song, Um, Icky Thump is a good example of his stuff, I mean, of course, Seven Nation Army, the fact that he can create such a full guitar sound by himself with just like his effect pedals and everything amazing um brian may from queen um i feel like you don't even need to say much there just listen to bohemian rhapsody it's right there it, it just it's my listen. favorite rhapsody yeah the best of the rhapsodies <clears throat> um I put Eddie Van Halen on here. I think what he's from, he from the band Van Halen. I think. Um, I mean, yeah, he just is another one of those just amazing guitar players for his time. Um, and, and I mean, in the same vein, I guess I could also put Slash from Guns N' Roses on that list as well. Um, you know, I think they were both just incredible guitar players. I keep thinking of the part in, like, November Rain where he's, like, playing the guitar out in, like, the desert. Right. Where, like, it's in the wind, like... <laughs> I was like, man, you were dedicated. It's like a tornado's coming or some shit. <laughs> um, like, like, the Titanic people, like... playing <laughs> while the world's falling apart around you. Uh, so I put Jimmy Page yeah, from Led too. Zeppelin. Um, you know, I mean, anybody that plays guitar with a, a bow from a cello is pretty pretty great in my book um you know i mean and i feel like he's just one of those you know major influencers like in in oh yeah for music sure. history so i mean you, you, i feel like again he's another one of those can't have a list of guitar players without mentioning jimmy page right um kirk hammett from metallica um you know, I mean, really the driving force of that band. And uh, I feel like if you want a prime example of Kirk and his finest, uh, I would suggest probably listening to Whiplash or One. Oh, yeah. Um, the guitar work in One is incredible. Uh, I mean, not that James Hetfield is a bad guitar player in his own, but, I mean, like, Kirk Hammett is the one that really... Is, is the one that makes that that section shine. So, um, 
I also have... Oh, I have Reverse Cuomo. Um, okay. You know, I, I feel like... He, he is a very um, technical guitar player. Um, I feel like... And he's very well-versed. I feel like he, he's one of those, like... Um, you could probably put anything in front of him, and after a few listens, he could probably play it. Right. Um, you know, so, I mean, I, I feel like he's just a good one to mention on the list. Right. Um... I also put Claudio Sanchez from Coheed and Cambria. Uh, I just, I'm a really big Coheed and Cambria fan. I've seen them live. Um, he's, I think he's just a great guitar player. The fact that he can play a double-headed guitar is impressive in my book. Um, but, you know, I just think that uh, he's really, aside from having a powerful voice, I think he also is an amazing guitar player. And uh, the last one that I had on my list was Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine because I mean if you want to talk about somebody that that took playing the guitar and just turned it on its fucking ear like Tom Morello is an example of that like the stuff that he has made a guitar like the noises that he has made a guitar make are just so weird and impressive the fact that like I think it's like he has um one of those like master class things and there's literally a whole part in his master class where he literally manages to make sound with just the cord that's plugged into the amp before it's even plugged into his guitar like he like just from like cupping his hand around it and stuff wow. I'm like how do you think like that like it's just it's it's so crazy um my list has a lot of the same people that you mentioned, but the only person that you didn't mention is Eric Clapton. That's fair. That yeah. is a good I example. I mean, I feel I mean... like, especially back <clears> in his <throat> his time with the, you know, back innovative in his... stuff that he he had done. Back in his cocaine days. Drugs make you a better musician, I'm just going to say. Look at no, Mike. I, I, meant, <laughs> I meant the song. I know. I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but sure, yeah. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. No, like how 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 fast he could play, like how well I thought he could play. Um, well, and I think it, that it's interesting when you look at guitarists like Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page, and you know like Jimi Hendrix. Uh, for their time, they will always refer back to like blues guitar players for who their idols were. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like that's definitely. It, you can hear that in mm -hmm. his playing a lot. He, you definitely get that bluesy. I think yeah. John Mayer is kind of the same way too. It's definitely. very, very, very bluesy, very, very like throwback, like you know, Bo Diddley, Muddy Waters, bluesy kind of stuff. Well, yeah, and I think, <clears throat> I mean, John Mayer's a little out of that era with the rest of them, but yeah. Yeah, but I just meant like. Oh, definitely. Stylistically. Right, exactly. Uh, I, I think it's... But I just meant the rest from that era. Are sure, all... yeah. But yeah, Eric Clapton is definitely a great one to have on there, for sure. Um, and then I feel like uh, a couple of bass players that you definitely can't not mention. Um, I mean, obviously, Flea. It's Flea. Like, you can't... 
he is I feel like Flea is the Red Hot Chili Peppers I feel like if, if they didn't have Flea he's the heart which letter do you think he is See, is, is he the R, H, C, or the P? I think he's the P. <laughs> he's the pepper? He's the pepper. He's the spicy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just... He he has such a... Like a, like a funk... To his playing. And the fact that he, like... Plays... Like... Um, like slap bass essentially is just so impressive um you know like and the speed that he plays at is crazy right um i also put less claypool from primus okay um in a similar vein uh just very like like you know heavy slap bass um just doing a lot of really crazy shit um you know I mean, I feel like it's like that same, like, we're just doing a bunch of wackadoodle shit, and it's it's nothing that anybody else has ever done before us. Well, I feel like that's what music's kind of about, is the innovation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because otherwise you just have, like, a bunch of people playing the same, and who wants that? Right. Exactly. But I feel like the innovation's what, you know, keeps things fresh. And uh, So I also put Sting. Okay. Um, because I feel like if you really break down the police as a band in general, um, that like his, his bass riffs are, are pretty important to those songs. I mean, they're, they're, they're prolific. They're not ACAB, right? No, no, (laughs) no. Um, but yeah, I definitely would put Sting on, on the important bass players list. I can, I can see that, yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously, like, I had to include Getty Lee from Rush, because, you know, while he can simultaneously sing the way that he does, play some ridiculous bass, and play synthesizer at the same time, is just impressive to me. Um, I mean, but that, I, I feel like that goes with, like, being in a prog like a progressive rock band it's like you you have to be able to just do some wacky shit with your instruments like yeah like it's like all right we're gonna go out on stage and uh neil's gonna be back here uh smacking the drum set with a smoked herring getty's gonna be up on the synthesizer and he's going to be flossing his bass guitar with some crest mint floss. Uh, and Alex is going to be over here. Uh, he's going to be barbecuing hot dogs on his guitar. We'll see how it sounds. Um, oh, man. So, uh, I also had... Uh, to kind of round out my list of bass players. Uh, I put Fat Mike on there. Because I feel like uh, punk bass players don't get enough love. And I feel like there aren't as many that are like just as crazy, like from a technical point, mm-hmm. as as he is. Like, I, I think it's it's very interesting that he is the lead singer 
the pr- one of the primary songwriters, and is the bass player. And people wonder why they're retiring. Yeah, uh, and I mean, he just. I mean, and even in in his in his playing with the Gimmies, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you can you can still hear like how amazing of a bass player he is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I feel like. See, I mean, he's number one on every list for me, but I know that I'm jaded in that fact. Um, the team of him and Melvin, and some of the stuff I've seen Melvin do, like right. with guitar, is crazy. Yeah. And I, I have a trouble, like, comparing him to, like, Jimi Hendrix. But, like, as far as punk bands go... Sure. Melvin's, like, way up there on guitar, too. But I, I can't put him on the same list. But Mike, I mean... As far as I know about playing instruments, I mean, from what I understand is he plays it, you know, differently or backwards or whatever that he does differently. And I know, like... I mean, and, and the, the work that he does with, like, different time signatures and odd tunings and just, I mean... And honestly, the way that he fit everything together in the decline to me is just... Right. And I feel like I mean in the in the same in a similar vein of 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 that you could also um, you could also probably bring up like uh, Lars Fredrickson from oh, yeah. from Rancid. I think that he's another great bass player. I don't think he's as good as Mike is, but right. I mean like obviously I feel like the guitar work in Rancid gets outshined by by Tim. I mean he's he's a great guitar player i mean and obviously you know coming up from a band like operation ivy right um you know i mean i I feel like that's a big deal and i mean even if you're if you're trying to stay within the punk genre of things if you look at like early uh green day mike durnt is is a great bass player um especially if you listen to uh a lot of the tracks like on Dookie mm-hmm. especially um oh god why am I uh I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the song it's like super bass heavy for most of the song Longview mm-hmm. um like his bass work on Longview is fantastic uh and again I mean they they obviously come up from a similar walk of walk of life as, as some of the other punk rockers they just had their breakout um they're supposed to i mean i'm terrible with names you're the name person but wasn't their um drummer really good too like isn't their drummer like trey no they're trey cool yes yeah yeah wasn't he the one that was like super young compared to yeah to the rest of them mm-hmm. like so he's like a, some sort of like almost prodigy almost yeah I don't remember how old he was, or. Um, but yeah, so I think. He's... Yeah, so I mean. I I think it's it's interesting as being a couple of music nerds finally being able to sit down and talk about individual musicians that we that we have uh, a love of rather than just whole bands is is kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Some of it's hard because like bands i mean they complement each other and i think some sometimes like other people in the band make them stronger but i don't know it was interesting to to pick it apart like this absolutely 
Well, I think that is about the end of our lists. The the build the top ten billboard list of billboards uh, <laughs> is done. Um, you know, I I foresee more more list episodes in the future. I I don't see us ever stopping these. I always have a good time doing these and playlists and stuff like that. Um, so I guess I will just say that, uh, don't forget to check out the sponsor of our show, uh, W Energy. Um, you know, shake up your own energy, if you will. <laughs> uh, you know, good, clean energy, all natural. Um, check them out. Use our discount code SIMH10. Save 10% on your purchase. And as always, you can find us all over social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at SIMHpod. We are also everywhere that you can listen to podcasts. We are on Amazon Music, Apple Music, that that one. Uh, I can never remember if it's music? iTunes or... Yeah, I said Amazon Music. You said Apple Music. Oh, no, maybe you didn't. Uh, Spotify and SoundCloud, if you're nasty. Um, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, be nice to each other. Um, always, hands. always remember to uh, wipe front to back, wash your hands, tip your waitress, and um, don't be an asshole. We'll talk to you guys soon. Love you.